Hello and welcome to Linux After Dark, episode three. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. So we made it back for episode number three. And it's been quite a long time. For us, not for them. <laughs> Indeed. And we've had a bit of feedback. Sean wrote to us. Part of the podcast lamented that Microsoft was only going to force users to upgrade machines in 2025 because if they had made the support timeline shorter, maybe people would have been more likely to try Linux. Let me rephrase that comment. I hope people have a worse experience and have their work disrupted because then we might win. We should want people to find technologies that work for them and we should want competition because that's how we get new ideas and things get better. I don't use BSD myself, but I'm incredibly thankful that it's there. We can celebrate Linux and celebrate the open source movement without hoping competing tools fail, because these are tools to do tasks. Telling me your screwdriver is somehow better than my hammer is silly. This is in reference to when we were talking about what the future holds for Linux. And we were talking about, well, like he said, hoping that people would take the opportunity to switch over to Linux once Windows 10 support ends. I think I still stand behind that. Of course, it'd be great if people got on Windows 11 and loved it because that's good for Microsoft and it's good for them. They just get to keep doing their work. But if they get up to Windows 11 and realize that, well, it doesn't work the way that I want it to, or they broke something in my workflow and Linux can provide that, then why shouldn't we? And why shouldn't they try it then? Yeah, I think in the text of the letter is what's happened there because from my perspective, we said maybe people would have been more likely to try Linux. Um, I don't think any of us, I'm speaking for myself, but hopefully for the rest of us, would take the leap to, I hope people have a worse experience and have their work disrupted because then we might win. I don't really see it like that. I mean, I have to be honest here. We occupy 1% of the desktop operating system market share. Maybe we'll push that to 2%. Even if I wanted that to happen, which I don't, it's 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 not going to happen. It's the nature of what we're using. It's it's an open source endeavor. We do want to attract some users because they may eventually turn into contributors as well. It's it's it has to be fed as an organism. That doesn't mean I want to take a flamethrower out and burn every single computer that runs Windows. It's just you know, in the spirit of growing the community slightly, and and it is an opportunity, and. I have seen quite a lot of people who are expressing dismay. I don't know if any of you guys are running any Windows machines day to day, but Windows Update now is already saying, even though we've got another four years, are you Windows 11 ready? Your computer's not ready for Windows 11. And it's making people a bit annoyed and they're starting to seek how they might be able to try Linux. I don't think I personally would take the leap to I hope people have a terrible experience on Windows so that we win some kind of battle. I, I don't see it like that. But I do see it maybe as an opportunity for people to give Linux a try. And that would be beneficial to the community and the way that Linux works. Yeah, I think I agree with what both of you said. For me, it's not so much about, I hope that you know Windows 11 or Windows 10 is a complete failure and people find it really difficult or impossible to use for whatever reason. But it's more about, if people upgrade to Windows 11 and they don't enjoy the experience they've got, then yeah, of course, I would want to point those people in the direction of Linux because it's something that works for me. Maybe it'll work for them too. But for me, I I wouldn't want anyone's life or work to be made more difficult, whatever platform it is they're using. Yeah, it's not a case of we want them to have a bad time. It's that we want them, if they do have a bad time, 
to have an alternative that gives them a better time. Yeah, and I would prefer that that alternative was Linux, but equally, you know, if those people want to move to macOS and that's a platform that works for them, then more power to them. The whole point of having multiple operating systems and having that competition in the marketplace, you know, if we've got goodness knows how many hundreds of distributions of Linux, I think it's perfectly reasonable that people should just use something which works for them. If I was true to that, I want to win thing. How many people do you think in the job that I do, which is residential IT support, I have never strongly forced anyone to switch to Linux. Uh, I barely suggest it uh, because quite often a lot of the clients I have are tied to Windows in some way that is going to be a steep learning curve because they would have to have some kind of virtualization set up or dual boot and things. I very rarely recommend it to people. I have had people express an interest in it and I would definitely help them. And I might mention in passing because people ask me, oh, your computer looks different, what are you running? And I say, oh, I run Linux. It's a slightly different operating system um, and it's a little bit technical. And I'll talk to them a bit about it, but I would never take that I must win strong front-footed attitude because I think it would backfire as well. That's the thing. And I think I've said a similar thing before, but I don't think that the average user really cares what underlying operating system they're running, as long as it gets out of the way and they can do what they do. I had an occasion a few months back where I was with my fiance visiting her family in Belfast, and I'd taken a Linux machine with me and we needed to join a Zoom call. And her and her family were like, ah, your computer looks weird. What's going on with it? And I said, oh, it's running Linux. And like you said, Chris, you know, explain to them a little bit about it. And they said, oh, but we're still going to be able to join this Zoom call. And it's like, yeah, of course we can. And they were like, oh, that's all right then. That's the extent to which those non-technical users cared about the operating system that my laptop was running. So I think to an extent for you know non-technical users, which let's face it, is most of the world, I don't think they care as long as they can get done the work that they want to get done and it's not painful for them. One of the things I do most regularly for people is reinstall Windows for them. And that's because that's not a process that they ever take on board. Most people have never installed Windows. They bought a computer and brought it home and it was just there. So it's a thing that gets skipped. I give the computer back and it works and that's the bit that I do. Yeah, they've never installed GNU slash Linux. They never saw a point in learning how. <laughs> I mean, most people have never even installed an update for their OS. Like we said in the last episode, how we'd gone back to people's machines after six months a year and they're running whatever version of distro or software we installed for them. Hmm. People just don't care. They don't want to know. They don't care. They just want to use the computer and then probably turn it off and put it in a drawer for another week until they find something else they need a computer for. What does winning look like then? Or is that not even a concept that we care about? I just don't even think of it that way. It's a bit of a segue, but it's kind of a bit of an attitude that can sometimes permeate within the community as well, because I think sometimes it can snowball a little bit where everyone feels like they have to win. That's certainly not what I feel, but I have encountered it as an attitude. And I get frustrated sometimes. Like uh, I was in a Telegram group for a distribution. I'm not going to name the distribution. It doesn't really matter. But I was helping people for a while in there, but it became a bit poisonous because new users would join and say, I'm having a problem with this. What should I do? And I'd give them quite a simple solution. And then there would be two or three people that would come in and want to win the conversation. And they'd be like, oh, no, no, what you should be doing is you should be going to GitHub, cloning the repository, compiling it yourself. And the person was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. 
And in the end, I just said, stop it. I'm going, I'm leaving because you don't have to win. So me personally, I don't care. I, I don't want Linux to win. I don't want it to suffer. I don't want it to diminish. I'd like it to grow, but I don't want it to win. And I don't think it can win because it has such a small market share. It's going to take some kind of miracle for it to win. It just doesn't seem like a concept I can get along with, really. Yeah, I agree with Chris. I don't think that winning is something that would even enter my mind for Linux on the desktop. The server market, arguably, yeah, Linux is a done deal there. But on the desktop, I don't think winning really matters. I think, I mean, I've said it you know, two or three times in this podcast, just use the right tool for the right job. And if that happens to be Linux, great. If it happens to be something else, then go right ahead. That's fine. Well, I maintain that we've already won. The fact that I can sit here with a Linux desktop and record this, that's victory enough for me. We are winning. You just need to change your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I th I, you say that jokingly, but I think that's true. Yeah, no, it's like you just don't have enough imagination to see that we're already winning. Yeah. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash linuxafterdark and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and Trustradius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been using Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash linuxafterdark, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash linuxafterdark. Let's get a bit meta. Now, I do a few shows about Linux now with various different people, and it's all cool conversations about Linux and being a sysadmin and that sort of thing. But something I've been wrestling with increasingly is to what extent we should be talking about ARM Linux and mobile Linux versus traditional x86. And so I thought I'd see what you lot think about this. Now, I'm not talking about the future. I'm talking about right now with what's going on. So, Gary, you're our cloud expert. Where are we with ARM Linux in the cloud? I think with the customers I work with, we're still at somewhat of an early stage. So, obviously, a lot of the big cloud providers are starting to push their ARM offerings, say, you know, AWS, for example, since last year's reInvent Summit, have been really heavily pushing Graviton 2, which is their latest gen ARM CPUs. I think it's starting to get some traction now. So the customers that I work with in my day job are starting to understand you know, the concept of moving to ARM CPUs. There is some curiosity building about what workloads they might be able to run on them and what kind of performance they can expect out of them. But from where I'm sitting, there's very little in terms of running workloads on ARM CPUs in production, particularly with larger enterprises. We're not seeing huge amounts of adoption in the way that we have, for example, on the desktop with the Apple M1. 
Well, that's what it all comes back to, essentially, doesn't it? And I feel like a bit of a broken record saying that the M1 has changed the industry, but I feel that it has, certainly on the client devices side of things. And before we started recording, we were having just a casual chat, and it was basically all about ARM stuff, whether that was the Apple M1 and the new M1 Max and Pro, or phones and stuff like that. You know, I find that we that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. It seems like ARM is here, and x86 is kind of just a bit boring now. Yeah, say all of my workloads that I'm running in the cloud at the moment are on ARM CPUs. And by and large, everything I need is there. But I'm running a stack where, you know, pretty much everything is open source or is freely available and has been compiled for ARM. But when you move into you know, some of those more proprietary applications, I'm thinking about a lot of stuff big businesses use like SAP or Microsoft SQL Server. You know, some of those workloads that have been entrenched for 20 plus years, those aren't going to be moving to ARM anytime soon. But with open source stuff, yeah, for sure it's here, right? So Postgres and MySQL and MariaDB, all available on ARM. Docker, available on ARM. You just build your images for applications that are running in java you know it's just a jar file you just run it in a jvm likelihood is it's probably going to work fine on arm say i think in the bubble we live in in open source especially on the server side there's not a lot of reason to stick with x86 other than you know vendor availability a lot of the smaller cloud providers don't have arm cpus available yet but i think for most workloads, you're right, it is here and it is ready. I mean, I'm speaking to you now, and yeah, I'm traveling for work and the machine I have with me is an M1 Mac and there's nothing that I've not been able to do this week on an ARM CPU that has made me think I should have bought an Intel machine with me. There's various sort of discussions that are happening at the moment with the M1 chips and now these newer M1 chips most recently. I can see both sides of the coin. And in some ways, I'd like to hear from the people listening to get across the points of view that people have. Because I've had people say to me, the M1 is completely irrelevant to us because until Asahi, you can't run Linux. It's not the same thing. Even to go so far as say it's not really like a laptop. And I don't necessarily agree with that. But I can see as well the point that, like with the phones as well, the fact is, is that for Linux enthusiasts, there's not a lot of us that have ARM hardware available to us that can run what we would call Linux. And we need to be careful here because Linux, GNU slash Linux, but I'm going to use Linux in the kind of general term. You know, I've got a couple of old smartphones. I've been playing around with post-market OS, but they don't work. Lots of the things are broken. I don't have an M1. And even if I did, at the moment, you can't run Linux and hopefully Asahi does that. But I can see why some people get frustrated when we talk about those things a lot, phones and the M1 chips, because it's like, yeah, it's great, but it's not Linux. But the problem is, is that you don't run Linux on thin air and you have to look at the hardware. And I would counter the claim that the M1 isn't a real laptop with, the problem is, I'm a Linux enthusiast. I will want to run Linux as much as possible. But when I go to buy a new computer, running Linux is just one of many things I'm looking at. And it is very important to me. But 
if one of the other factors I look at on the hardware side becomes remarkably improved on something that can't run Linux, it starts to shift what's important to me. But I do appreciate that for some people, when they're buying hardware, the first thing on the list is, does it run Linux? And if it doesn't answer that question, they will turn their head away and not look at it. But I'm just not one of those people. I look at what's being achieved on something that can't run Linux. And for me, an M1 MacBook Air is a laptop. And I'd like to have a laptop that has that battery life, that power. And as the chips improve, that's going to just keep getting better. And for the moment, I will turn away. Now, my question to myself and maybe to you guys is perhaps we have to be careful about what we talk about. Now, I know, Joe, you've bought the MacBook Air because you've got a strong eye and Asahi, which we all would love to hear about and hear about some hands-on experience when we get to that stage. But I can see why I guess people get a bit ruffled that we start talking about phones or MacBooks that can't run Linux. Well, let me push back on something you said, that most Linux enthusiasts don't have hardware to run Linux on. Well, how many Raspberry Pis do you all have in drawers? But how many people are running desktop Linux on those and using it every day as a production machine? I have heard from some, but I take that point that yes, there aren't that many. Yeah, I mean, I tried to make this work. You know, I went out and I bought a Pinebook Pro and tried to run it as, you know, not my primary machine, but as a machine I could throw in a bag and go to a coffee shop and run a browser and an SSH client on. And it just wasn't quite there. So whilst I appreciate there is ARM hardware that can run Linux, I don't find it to be anywhere near stable or have anywhere near the parity of functionality that an x86 machine would running Linux. Dalton, were you affronted when Graham talked about trying uh, Ubuntu Touch on his Pine phone on late night Linux and how he didn't get far with it? I heard Graham's experience and I thought, Ah, shoot, I didn't get that thing done. There's better hardware support in Ubuntu Touch for the Pine phone, uh, like making the modem work better, but not perfectly. That is currently in the release candidate or the development channels that just hasn't gotten to stable. So I'm assuming that Graham was using stable and it just hasn't gotten there yet. And that's something that's like, uh, there's too much to do, and that's just one of those things that fell by the wayside. With that said, it is a really great highlight of the challenges that Linux has on ARM hardware. You know, open source Linux distributions, because there's open source desktop Linux, and there's Android, and there's Chrome OS, And these are all Linux, but we don't call them Linux. And that makes it much harder to talk about. But it highlights the challenges of getting Linux all open source on this hardware is there's been a lot of years of vendors creating embedded, vertically integrated platforms that never thought about running different software on them. But isn't that what makes the ARM Linux world exciting? On x86, it's boring. It all just works. (laughs) Uh, I think it'd be much more exciting if it worked and it was faster than x86. But, you know, I take your point. Well, maybe exciting is the wrong word. Maybe interesting. There's more interesting developments. Watching what's happening with Asahi Linux on the M1s is a really interesting and fascinating process. Whereas 
a, a new version of Ubuntu or Arch on x86. Well, you know, we've seen that for 20 years. Okay, I grant you that. Well, do let us know what you think. Show at linuxafterdark.net. We'd love to hear from you. What do you think? Should we talk more about ARM, less about ARM, more traditional stuff, less about distros, more about applications, probably? That's what most people seem to say. We've had some people say, oh, stop talking about phones, I don't care about them. And other people who say, oh, I'm really interested in what's going on with all the Linux, proper GNU slash Linux on phones. So we'd love to hear it. And you've got the best source here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Quick thank you to everyone who supports us on PayPal and Patreon. Really do appreciate that. linuxafterdark.net slash support for more details there. And remember, $5 or more on Patreon gets you an advert-free RSS feed with this show, Late Night Linux and Late Night Linux Extra. So until two weeks time then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later. <laughs>